Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show, where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health. I'm Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards is working on the SoundHealthPortal.com. I'm really recommending for more information about the Sound Health Portal to go to SoundHealthPortal.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, find the link for videos, click on that, and then pick a video where the subject is of interest to you and watching that video. The videos are Sherry doing live workups with people online in a webinar, so you'll see the whole process. And once you see it, I just think it's so much easier to understand the capabilities and the kind of information that you can find on the Sound Health Portal. Then, after you see that demo, go back to the top, look at the campaigns list, and some of the current campaigns are neuroplasticity, one of my favorites, which is about how the brain's working at all times, fibromyalgia, and biodiet. Biodiet's good, too, as a foundational understanding of what's going on in that gnarly word, methylation cascade. But you can get a lot of information from watching a video then going back and doing a campaign because you'll have a much better idea of what the capabilities of the software programs are and the kind of reports you'll get. It just makes a lot more sense. Four or six months ago, Sherry came up with a chart, a chart where it's like, here's the thing you want to look at right now. Because sometimes, particularly in the methylation cascade, which is how everything fires off and interacts in the body, now there's a chart that's like, here, look at this. This is where we want to start because sometimes it just takes a little thing to get it all operating smoothly again. Or that's just the place you better start. So I suggest going to soundhealthportal.com, watching a video demo. That just really makes it all make much more sense. Hear and share replays of this show about 20 to 30 minutes after you hear the outro music. You can go to talktomeguy, all one word, dot com. TalkToMeGuy.com. Scroll down that page. You'll see the latest episodes. And at the top of that page will be this amazing show with Doria Karim, who I've talked to a number of times. I'm a big fan of biogeometry. On that show will be all the show notes, any of the links or ideas that we talk about where there's an article or a reference, I'll put in those show notes. And also, at the bottom of that page, right underneath the show notes, is a player. So if you're on a mobile device or on your computer or laptop or tablet or anything, you can just tap right there and listen to the show directly from that page. And or below that, you can choose any of the about a dozen different podcast apps, whether it be Google Podcasts or iOS Podcasts or Pocket Casts, my personal favorite. And you can click through and listen to it on that app if you'd like. Also at the bottom of the show notes is a little microphone. And if you click on that microphone, you can leave me a message saying, I have questions, or how about this person, or what about that, or anything, any kind of comment. That's really easy to do for mobile devices, unless you have a microphone built into your computer. Not all of us do. With that, the youngest of the Karim children, Doria Karim, grew up with biogeometry. Today, Doria is the Managing Director of Biogeometry Energy Systems Limited. 
where she heads numerous biogeometry projects and is a vital player of the biogeometry research and development team, which aims to reduce all forms of environmental stress on biological systems. Doria has been working directly under Dr. Ibrahim Karim for more than nine years and has had the opportunity to gain experience in applying biogeometry in fields such as regional environmental electrosmog solutions, architecture and industrial design, music, animal farming, and agriculture, and serves as co-director of the design department. Dorea is a building biology environmental consultant with degrees in both psychology and graphic design. Dorea has lectured and taught in over eight countries, having given over 40 biogeometry trainings in 2018. Dorea was selected as a She's Mercedes, recognizing empowering women in Egypt. Dorea Karim joins us to talk about balancing biological energy systems with biogeometry. Welcome, Doria. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I have to ask, I didn't mean to, but she's Mercedes. Is this like Mercedes the car or Mercedes was somebody famous? The car. The car. It's actually awesome. um, a really uh, interesting, I think it's a really great story if anybody wants to l- look it up. Uh, I, I don't know the story by hand, but it really okay. is one of those empowering uh, stories for women where it was actually uh, the, the wife of, I forget who the inventor is, but she's the one who actually drove the car for the first, for the, I don't want to really mess up the story, but she's the one who actually drove the car across, I don't know, like the town or what it was at the time uh, when everybody kind of thought you, you couldn't. So the She's Mercedes Award came out uh, where they would highlight uh, different women and, and their roles. So I was, I was really happy to have um, a student who attended the class, uh, you know, think of me for, for one year or one of the events. That's very cool. I'll look that up. That's a great story. Because I've talked to you a number of times, I'll put links for the shows that we've done previously and also the mm-hmm. show that we did, I believe, with you and your father, Abraham. Mm-hmm. And I'll put those in the show notes. So we're going to jump in where people have a certain amount of knowledge of biogeometry. There will be questions that will clar- clarify for people. But I want to start here. I want to ask about, there was a quote I found on one of the pages on your very robust biogeometry website. I now know there's a translation tab, (laughs) which is really helpful. I didn't know. I couldn't find it. The question is having to do with results from experiments in the National Research Center in Egypt Mm -hmm. using bacteria and other research on poultry and plants done at universities in Egypt and Holland where auto-suggestion, known as placebo effect, has no place, not shown in the evidence of this. Would you please talk about this in reference to the Biogeometry Poultry Project? Because I think it's such a, a smashing success, and I think it's a great example of the, exactly that. I really want people to understand there is, it's not a placebo effect. Yeah, and, and I think actually where, where this comes from, and I'll, I'll jump to the chicken project, but there's actually um, a TED Talk my father gave, and it's called Why is the Cow Smiling? And <laughs> I, it actually goes back to, uh, and then again, for those listeners who have heard the other shows or want to go back to the other shows, kind of a long story short where we went into two towns in Switzerland and installed biogeometry shapes and where people were having 
headaches and different um, headaches, issues with sleep, tension, anxiety. Um, after, the, after the installation of the cell tower, after the biogeometry solution, that all went away through an independent study. And then, of course, um, when it was time to publicize this, some people said placebo effect. And so the TED Talk was called Why is the Cow Smiling? Because when, um, when I think it was one of the reporters came in uh, and said, you know, this is a placebo effect, uh, a woman from the town stood up and said, sir, our cows don't speak Arabic. Hmm. And that was referring to that uh, there was high rates of miscarriages and other ecological and animal issues that they were facing that was restored with the use of biogeometry. So uh, a lot of times we will actually use animal studies um, where, when, or when we use animal studies, we will highlight that there is no placebo effect in the areas where we work because the people feel the difference, but at the end of the day, we also see the effect on the animals. Now. The animal farming study is actually, um, it was actually, I would say it's the, the second, um, there was in Egypt uh, a study, uh, and it's, it's in a published journal, uh, done with poultry, raising poultry um, naturally, and that one was really studying the growth rate. Uh, but in Quebec, we repeated that for, if you look at the website, there's actually a letter saying, uh, you know, at the end of nine cycles, we have a solution, biogeometry is now a solution to raise uh, chickens without antibiotics. Now, where that was coming from is that when we first went in, they said, you know, you need, you need to be able to raise chickens for three cycles without antibiotics in order for us to oh. consider a viable solution. And we said, okay, great, let's do that. And, then, and that was set up um, where we had, within the same farm, it was divided into within the same uh, biogeometry, we had a control farm outside, and then within the same farm, it was divided into chickens receiving antibiotics, chickens not receiving antibiotics, um, separated into different quadrants, and then we could compare the results of how well they're doing. And then slowly, we started to expand into more farms. And then you can see that they kept us going in the initial farm for, when we reached three cycles, they said, let's go for another three. When we reached another three, they said, let's go for another three. And then when we reach nine cycles, then they said, okay, so we now see that we have a definitive solution to raise chickens without antibiotics. And they actually gave us the rest of the farms that they own for us to apply um, biogeometry solutions to. So now the, all of the farms owned by that company are uh, producing, they're producing antibiotic-free chickens. Wow. We were just talking backstage, and I think I have to jump to this that I think that's also such a shining example of the idea of what I will call the shape form or the, the science energy of shapes of biogeometry is really about, and the chickens, why are the chickens smiling? I don't know, can a chicken <laughs> smile? Um, is that you're not here to, or it's not here to fix something it's here to make us so centered and I'm so California together that we're strong enough to be in an environment which might have pollution and still be okay. Is that, is that a okay way of expressing that? Yeah. yeah I think, I mean, the, the aspect for it is there's always going to be types of environmental stressors. And I think one of the key things of biogeometry is we're saying that, 
it is very difficult to live a centered life if you do not have a way to access the multidimensional energy exchange levels of the human being. And those include mental levels, emotional levels, vital levels, and really that's the key of biogeometry. So those who have studied biogeometry, they see that at, you know, at the beginning when my, when my father was first developing biogeometry, there was a, there was the groundwork there that uh, in French retosthesia that dealt with really just being able to classify energy effects according to different color qualities. And of course, a lot more than that as well. But with that, the path that biogeometry took was my father was an architect. And I actually think that this was the key, this is the key point because it had to come from an architect. It couldn't have come from somebody who was actually focused on healing the body. So as an architect, he approached the energy world by looking at sacred power spots. And of course, as an Egyptian architect, I should add that. <laughs> and yeah. Sacred power spots. And really for him, that was the key. When he, inher- he inherited a lot of this work and, and you know, was told that you will um, be able to, to bring it out in a way that is needed. But he knew that the key for him was to recreate the energy of a sacred power spot, to understand why in a sacred power spot. You know, and, and going back to animals, when, when we talk about a sacred power spot, you have them as spots that have been recognized since the dawn of humanity, you know, before specific um, before a specific religion came and claimed it as its own, and spots that even animals will gravitate towards. And these are the places where he noticed that you can go in with different ailments, um, and they can be of opposite effects. So you can have something that's underactive, I can have something that's overactive in the body, but we go to a power spot and we experience a type of censoring energy. And what was so special about these spots? that they were the basis of, you know, rituals, pilgrimages. And this is the birth of biogeometry. And what we say that we do in biogeometry is we say that you're a doorman. You're a doorman, and what you do is recreate the centering energy quality, and you see the effect. Now, it happens to be that we actually see that what happens in a power spot when you see this effect is you get a huge relief from environmental stress, including the types of solutions that you just brought up. So you get a huge relief uh, from types of environmental stress. So we saw this again with the example I gave in Switzerland. We saw this with um, the cow. And so, yes, it is a way to help deal with everything that we are facing. And I would say, you know, until um, until we reach the point where we're actually developing products of modern technology that are supportive to the environment, or I know there's products out there that are doing that, but I'll say developing all of our products to be supportive to the environment and supportive to the body. Hmm. And because you use that word so casually, would you say more about what, what, you've, what I've heard you define uh, radiesthesia as radiesthesia, as microvibrational physics? Would you say more about radiesthesia? Because that's something in this country I don't think we know that much about. So radiesthesia um, is is actually, if you break it down, it means sensitivity to radiation. And we use the term radiesthesia. It refers to um, different types of pendular in- instruments that we use in biogeometry that you can calibrate. 
Now, what this means is a lot of times when people see something like a pendulum in somebody's hand or a dowsing instrument, what they will assume is that the person is using it to ask questions, to, you know, to, to, to be more sensitive to the subconscious, which is one school, and that school is called mental dowsing, but it's different from the school of physical radiesthesia that we refer to in biogeometry. And so to give you an example, we have, for example, one of our pendulums, the horizontal pendulum. What it does is that you have different angles that you set it to, and each angle is sensitive to a specific color quality. Okay, so going back to what that means, what do I mean by um, a color quality or the word quality? The word quality just means an effect. So it's specific to, so if you if you take that the pendulum and you set it to red and you go over a red square, you'll find it turning red. If you set it to blue and you go over the blue angle, it'll go over, uh, it'll start rotating uh, over the blue color. Now, of course, there's a lot more to this because when we start putting in pieces together, we begin to see that there's this, even just me now saying that there's a relationship between angles and colors, is part of introducing you to what we call the physics of quality. This concept of when we look at things as qualities, as vibrations, versus just a quantity or a specific um, frequency, because frequency is still a quantitative term, we find this concept of resonance between sound, color, touch, taste. You hear of it in different schools, but the explanation is kind of hard to pin down. But it's really easy to see where, for example, a good example that we use also to explain the calibration physical radiesthesia is the monochord. So if you look at um, monochords, those familiar with Pythagoras' monochord, uh, just a, a string that's held tight on both sides. And whenever, wherever you pluck it, you would get a different note. Now, it's the same thing. Wherever we actually hold our pendulum, we find ourselves being able to be more sensitive to a specific wavelength or a specific quality. Now, this quality could be a color. It could be a sound. It could be um, really any of our sensory experiences. And so the idea with physical radiesthesia is that you're not asking questions. You're getting the body to be sensitive to specific vibrations. And how does this differ from, I'll use the term old guy because I know old guys <laughs> that do this. They seem to be mostly old guys who go out in a field and witch or douse using sticks or sometimes coat hangers. Even the, the swanky guys I know bend coat hangers and make them so they swing in their hands so easily. Yeah, with water dowsing, there's a huge overlap because with water dowsing, what's happening is that you're not actually asking yourself the question, is there water here? What you're trying to do is that your body is mostly water. So you're trying to use yourself as what we would call a vibrational witness. And then oh. the hanger, the coat hanger, should vibrate. So it's actually very similar to another redesthesia tool called the lesser antenna, which actually kind of pushes back towards you when you find the energy quality that you're looking for. The difference in it is that you also set it to different wavelengths, like I was just mentioning. But with the water dowsers, they become the antenna. And so um, they will then, wherever they, they find water, they focus their, they're, they're focusing on the ground and looking for the reaction. If we want to say coat hanger. They're looking for the reaction in the coat hanger when they are in resonance with the water in the ground. So really, I mean, this concept, you actually see it in one of um, 
there's a French artist physicist as well called Abbe Mermet, and his pendulum was really interesting. And he just had a pendulum that's the way that you would get sensitive to things. So just like now we said, you know, with water dowsing, your body's mostly water, so that's an easy thing to get sensitive to. But with Abbe Mermet's pendulum, what he would do is he would, op- he had a pendulum that you open up, and then you would place samples of what you're looking for in the pendulum, and then mm-hmm. focus on that resonance. So for example, um, the gold energy quality is actually one that's important to us in biogeometry because it's one of the qualities that we find in the sacred power spot. And that's really the purpose of why we, we look for different qualities is because we're looking to recreate those of the sacred power spots. And so gold is one of them. And so, for example, with his pendulum, you could just put a little nugget of gold, put that in there, and then you would be looking for areas that are in resonance with the quality of gold. And do gold miners do this now? Do they know that? I, I'm... I couldn't tell you stories I've heard of, but I know that, um, hmm. so, you know, one of uh, my friends who was with me in building biology, she took the courses, and her husband works for a mining company, and, you know, she said, well, let me uh, do my own mapping, and hers matched exactly to those of the professionals who came on site. Wow, and weren't those professionals annoyed? <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine. I, I have a friend who was in the Vietnam War, and because of his family of origin, he grew up with a family who his grandmother would take him to the market, and she would douse over a fr- piece of fruit mm-hmm. to see if it was ripe. Mm-hmm. So she had that intention of looking for ripe fruit. So he grew up with dowsing in his life. Mm-hmm. And when he was in the military, there was some odd circumstance that occurred where he was in basic training, and they said, we need some volunteers. We're, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, sure. And it had to do with dowsing, and everybody's like, what's that? And he knew exactly what that was. And so he spent the war in a room dowsing maps for landmines. Oh, wow. And he was never wrong. Now, he was a – he's a – dear friend of mine, and he's a gifted dowser. He was actually the person who introduced me to your work many years ago when I thought he was just slightly crazed. But I thought, this is amazing. So he introduced me to biogeometry. But that's, that, was a, that was a skill that he had, that he, ha- he knew that dowsing worked. He knew the intention of what he was doing. And he was always very good whenever he was training me or showing me things. He was really good at... I don't know what to call this other than a clear state. He had no intention going in when he was working on a project or looking for, you know, something. His intention was to get the information from what he was measuring. So he was very good at going to a clear state. And I don't yeah. think he was a meditator or that, but he really went in with the I'm just looking intention. Well, I think that's also really important because we get a lot of students and the hard thing for them to move past is when they ask us, but isn't this, isn't the pendulum so easy to influence? And we go, of course, <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. Now the idea is as actually when, when we give classes, what we have to explain is what influences the pendulum. And when you understand everything that influences the pendulum, then you are able to make sure that you are not doing these things that will influence the pendulum. And then you start getting these clearer readings. Now, Mm -hmm. 
there's two ways. So the, the idea is also so the way we would use it. So let's say now this, the, the mining, let's take them, um, uh, sorry, the mines is an example like you were just saying. So there's two ways to do it. So there's the mental dowsing side would be actually going on the map and asking where are the mines. Uh-huh. And so this isn't what we do in biogeometry. What we do in biogeometry is we would need to find one mine, for example, and get a wavelength for it. So just like going back to the monochord, just like you have different, wherever you pluck the string on the monochord, you get a different vibrational quality that you can differentiate as a different note. It's the same idea. We actually, we lower our pendulum to different lengths to find the strongest one over a witness. And so you then would, for example, with your mind as your witness, need to look for the point on the pendulum that makes you, the redesthesis, the most sensitive to this vibration. And then you can start using a map to try to see where else am I in resonance with this. So in essence, if you think of two tuning forks, it's like you have to shift your body to become the tuning fork that you're looking for. And as you learn that, so when you say adjust, do you mean the actual, let's say, the cord? We'll mm -hmm. get to the I, inter, Instagram footage of you wandering in amazing squares, dowsing. <laughs> so as you're doing that, as you're using your pendulum in these squares, I'll try and find a link to some of these and put them in the show notes so people can watch you do it. And I forget where you were. I think it was possibly Italy. And you were Switzerland. Okay, and you were just walking along following the BG3 energy coming from the earth. And so you're actually adjusting the length of the chain or the cord that's holding that until you feel a certain thing or? So that's actually a different pendulum. So I actually explained two different okay. pendulums. There's the angle okay. one that I explained, and then there's the one where you lower. Now okay. the BG16 is a special pendulum. And what that is, is that when we start talking about so I've briefly said, you know, colors are qualities, numbers are qualities. By the way, for, for somebody to understand this, I mean, anybody who's a little bit in the energy world, for example, you might, to understand things as qualities, okay, uh, if somebody, a lot of people will talk about things and they'll say, they'll associate, for example, the chakras with different colors. And when you look at it that way, when you associate the chakras with different colors, now, why is it then that when you look at the chakras, Right? So let's say, for example, the root chakra is red. Why is it that when I look at the root chakra, I don't see the color red? Now, this is actually the explanation of quality because it is not red. Red, it is a red quality. And so when we understand it as a vibration, that's when we can then understand that it will be in resonance with the wavelength of the red quality when we're adjusting our pendulum. Oh. So when we... When we get to now this concept of, like you said, we look at the interchangeability of scales between numbers, colors, angles. Um, well, actually, I want to go back to numbers. The so numbers is what I was going to go to. So when we understand numbers also have different energy qualities. Now, the BG16 pendulum you're mentioning, this is a pendulum that was actually designed or pre-calibrated to rotate clockwise in the presence of a sacred power spot. And it does that through the number 16. So when we look at numbers, certain numbers have this BG3 quality. So 16 is one of them, which might for some people be familiar in that the golden ratio, for example, 
is actually related to the reproduction of the energy quality of the number 16. But it's just not the only number. There's 16, there's 19, there's 28, and we use these a lot in design. So with the BG16, because it has this number built into it, it's actually designed so that you are um, able to detect the BG3 energy quality without calibrating your pendulum. And it was designed because my father, being an architect, wanted to be able to give workshops to students to be able to reproduce this energy quality in their work. Mm -hmm. And this pendulum helps, um, this pendulum is designed for that and helps them achieve that quickly. And actually, because when you're designing, design is one of the nicest ways to develop your skills. Because when you're designing, a lot of the design exercises, for example, that we do in classes, Students are really accurate because they're actually doing this random design where they don't care about the answer. So they really get into that state where the state you were just mentioning about where you're not going in with any type of intention. And so the video that you're um, that you were you were mentioning, I was going into this was actually um, a power spot that my father uh, used to tell us about since we were kids, and and there was a story uh, etched on the outside of. The, the church there, uh, the Grossminster Church, and it's uh, of Felix and Regula, two Egyptian missionaries, actually. And they were beheaded, and the story goes that they picked up their heads, and they ran up the riverbank, and, the, and they fell at the site where you have the church today. Hmm. And then there, so the... the the video that I had is you actually see now when you find the power spot, it has the sacred energy quality, the BG3, that you can detect through this BG16. It's called BG3 because when looking for basically, like I said, the birth of biogeometry, when my father started working in the field of energy as an architect, he said, what I'm looking for is how can I identify a sacred power spot? He had some clues. For example, in, in uh, French Redesthesia, um, they would talk about one quality that was very much related to somebody who was spiritual. And it's called the negative green energy quality, and they would use it to test how much somebody is spiritual. But it wasn't enough to really isolate the quality of a sacred power spot. And so this is where we have, I mentioned um, gold, and you also have what we call an ultraviolet quality, and then the negative green, which is a grayish, and as a color quality, it's a grayish color. And so your BG16 is designed to detect all of these together. And the video that you see is when we get to that power spot, you find a lot of uh, lines that cross. And where they cross is what we refer to as the power spot. And so in my father's book, Back to the Future for Mankind, there's actually a mapping of this church. And there's a mapping of the pyramids, for example. And you can see the major lines, which in some schools they refer to as ley lines crossing the pyramids or crossing the church, and then you can find the points of highest energy. And once we know this, once we, and, and do you, you've had a, how long have you had pendulums in your hand? I know you've been working with your father directly for nine years. Did you grow up in a world of pendulums? Well, so I mean, if we, yeah, if we, we celebrated, uh, I mean, we're actually ready uh, this year to be celebrating 50 years of biogeometry. Uh, wow. So January, we celebrated 45 years of biogeometry um, wow. five years ago. So this, this year would be the 50th celebration. And I 
have not yet turned 50. So I was born into this world. I was born with um, really just with a pendulum in, uh, I would say, in my hand, but was not in, when I say nine years, it's really in a type of, I would say, research and application setting of biodometry uh-huh. versus just having it as part of my daily life. But I've had it as part of, even when I was in school, my school nurse was actually a student of my father's. So I actually grew up or whenever I had, uh, even I went to the school nurse, she would actually address it with biodometry. (laughs) You were that kid. Okay. I was was that kid. I actually wrote about biodometry for my school admission. I I had skipped. My mom actually got us all to skip uh, a grade in school. And then when I went to a new school, they said, no, we have to test her before we let her go into this grade. And then... Apparently, I wrote my admission essay on biogeometry, and of course, my mom said, that's it, she's not getting in, she's not getting into the school. Um, but they took me in. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, that's, maybe that's why it seems so, it feels familiar to me, because that's exactly how my friend was that did, the, his name was John, is John, did work in Vietnam. And, you know, he'd had dowsing in his life always. So to him, picking up a pendulum was not like, you see a lot of people at, at shows when, we, when I used to do whole life expos and what would be called new age fairs where people were discovering things. There'd always be booths with pendulums and you'd see people come over and try and use a pendulum for the first time and it was like, wow, they were always, and it was so different to see John pick up a pendulum because there were times when he would pick one up and drop it immediately because he didn't like the way it felt. Mm where he felt it was picking up something inappropriate or, you know, that felt bad. It was designed to pick up something. Well, they didn't know what they were designing. They just were designing, you know, it could be a bolt. He would do amazing things with a bolt on a string. I mean, he was really tuned into the world of dowsing. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's there's a few things there. Like, one of the things is, you know, a lot of times uh, when when I started teaching, you know, my father said you shouldn't, Students in your class shouldn't feel like they're learning something new. They should feel like they're remembering something. Uh-huh. And I think that's also a part of why, like when you're saying sometimes you feel comfortable in this world, I think a lot of people do because a lot of times when we open up ourselves to these possibilities, um, we find it, it's where we're kind of taught to believe that there isn't a logical way to understand these things. Uh, but there is. There's a logical way to, to, to speak about them, and that's actually one of the things that we do. We say, listen, this world of energy, of dowsing, of, um, you know, it, even even this concept of, of words like spirituality, before we, are, before we get into anything, let's define them, because they're not well-defined. And let's sit as a class and, and define these words so that we can then talk about them, expand from there, and then we go into what we call a physical quality. Let's talk about the rules we're going to be talking about, how we can actually fit in everything that we're saying into one um, picture and how we can measure and validate that. And we've also been very, um, we've been very careful that if you go on our website and you look at our research, you're actually not going to find a mention of pendulum. Uh-huh. The reason for that is because we believe, we firmly believe that through the, by understanding this concept of energy quality, by understanding this concept of the center and quality found in sacred power spots, we can produce measurable results, like the work in particular I mentioned, like 
the poultry. Like, for example, we did work with Dr. Emoto on water quality. Like, we had a hepatitis C project. So we have, um, we have results that meet the mainstream criteria, and those are what we try to show, because we try to show that you can have an effect. And so I think one of the, we even have students getting their master's and PhDs in biodometry. And one of the, the big steps that we, that we took, or that my father took, was that he had a design student, for example, who was designing spaces um, for uh, people who have depression or spas. And she designed these spaces using biodometry principles, and that was her thesis. But my father said, you know, it's not enough. How are you going to test this? And then he actually, had a colleague call up the medical department, and the medical department called him and said, you have to stop sending us design students. And he said, but why, why should we stop sending design students if they're getting results? And huh. I think slowly, that's what we're trying to shift to. We're trying to say that, okay, by understanding the energy of a, a sacred power spot, by understanding this you know, like I was talking about this multidimensional energy exchange that we have with the environment, by reproducing this energy quality to help support us, we can see results. Well, and one of the things I love about biogeometry and that thing you just said, oh, you mean we're in relationship with the environment? What? How is that? Mm -hmm. Really? It's just mind-blowing to me when I see the kind of, you know, most of the shows that I do is talking about some sort of thing we're doing to the environment and how we try and help ourselves from that. Let's, you know, say glyphosate or electrosmog or all these things. And that's why I really enjoy biogeometry is because it's, it is about that, but not in the way that people are panicking about it you really are striving and having people work toward being in a place of centered or harmony, which were our strongest, and being in relationship to our environment, not afraid of it. Is that, exactly. Am I reading that correctly? Exactly. And it's not even, um, I mean, what we say is, is that the term that we actually use is that you are the environment. Oh. And and one of the things that we talk about is this concept of the shift from right brain to left brain perception when we talk about how ancient man viewed the world. And we said, imagine at one point that you were living so in tune with the laws of nature that, that nature was speaking through you. But now what we don't understand is that as we find any shift in the environmental energy, it's automatically a shift we see in the body. So it's, it's really a simple thing where imagine um, you go into, imagine you go into a room where a lot of people are tense. You feel like you're going to be picking up on that tenseness. And of course, uh -huh. there's things there, you know, there's things there that we um, uh, can say, well, of course, you're going to be picking up on their body language. You're going to be picking up on all of these different things. But there's actually an energy exchange on the emotional level that happens. Or even better, you know, I can tell you my, um, this was really interesting for me. My brother was just telling me about a study where they found that people could sense the color of the room that they were walking into, even oh. blindfolded. Huh. The big thing for us, so for example, I mentioned our work with Dr. Emoto, is one of the things that we did with water 
is so Dr. Dr. Moto's work. Um, it was had to do with how intention affects water, and so he would say things to, to the water like "I love you" or a negative thing, and you could find these water crystals that were coming out really beautifully, or just these um, pictures that weren't really forming into shape. And so one of the things when when we worked uh, with him when he came to Egypt is we said, okay, so let's recreate, let's show that the environment can actually have this intention of positive energy quality. We can just have it in the environment without you saying, I'm going to have a positive intention. And that's exactly what we did. Placing specific shapes in the room, you could see in these water crystals being formed as if you were saying these positive affirmations for the water. Mm. Wow. I mean, this is really this all goes together. Everybody, just hold on. It's a little bit like a roller coaster ride for a minute. So I'm going to jump from there to. I know that you and biodramatry does work with kids that have ADHD and other states of non-centeredness. I guess I'll call that. And that you have a space, or did, when we talked last, a space in your Toronto office, maybe others, but I just know about the one in Toronto, where people could come and they would find themselves being in that centered state. I don't know that that was the languaging, but that was kind of the result, exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about now. Could you talk about that and why aren't we building classrooms for kids? Period. So we, I mean, we actually had... Um, a few students who did their master's or PhDs in related pieces, topics to wow. this. So one of them, and this is, I, I would guess I would say this is kind of where it all started. So one of them was a PhD thesis, and this was done in Saudi Arabia, and the student put different biogeometry interventions in the space. And so we have both, right? You can, you can adjust the space that's existing, or you can design a space in the beginning. Of course, even when you design a space with biogeometry principles, we still have to look at things like electricity, water, Wi-Fi, and different things like that. But she went in and she added different biogeometry interventions in the space, and then they tested the, the children for things like their focus and attention, their communication, their dynamic behavior, teamwork, their independence and hyperactivity, social skills, academic skills, and all the students um, all the students performed much better with biogeometry in place. So that was one example. And then with another uh, thesis, uh, the one I was mentioning where the student was designing a space for depression, they actually tested that. So the, the experiment that the medical department came up with, up with was to test it on serotonin levels of depressed mice. And then they had a control and two other drug treatments, and they showed biogeometry as a viable solution to helping restore serotonin levels in depressed mice. Um, and with that, we were able to work with the Autistic Society in helping design um, spaces that the government was building in Egypt. And so we started studying different shapes of a classroom that were stressful to, uh, to an autistic child and relaxing. And we actually found that a square room or the 90-degree angles would be stressful to an autistic child. And so we started designing the ideal classroom, and we have that as a space in our office in Egypt, a mock-up of it that we were using in testing, where you can come in and experience the space for yourself. 
Wow. I'm ready. <laughs> I'd like to have my studio be in one of those. That would be awesome to be broadcasting from a location that was completely cool because there's a lot of equipment here before me, not as much as your husband. <laughs> his husband is a renowned musician, and he has like, wow, we're talking equipment. So the idea of having that kind of, not, not only the, that ability to have a balanced space, then let's say in the case of your husband's music. Mm -hmm. So he's producing in, I suspect, a very nicely centered space. Yeah. That will that music then carry some of that influence or that influence into people listening to it because it was produced in a balanced, centered space? Yes, I mean, at least, well, I hope, I, I try to keep our space, we were talking about this, I try to keep our space as centered as possible, but whenever right. we're doing research, I have to take our solutions down. Um, right. <laughs> so one of the things we were talking about. But yes, I try to make sure at least his studio is always balanced because of all of the equipment he's dealing with. And you can actually see this example in what we had a CD that we were, um, uh, that we used to sell called the Silent Sound CD. It's coming back. We just have to uh, reorder it. And the Silent Sound CD was actually done exactly like you said. It's a, it's a silent recording of a studio that's balanced. Mm. And then whenever you play that, sound, that CD, you can pick up these energy qualities in the space that you're playing. Wow. And so that was the concept behind the Silent Sound CD. Um, and so, yes, you could see that. And then he also has a track that he works on with my father where they actually started looking at applying different biometry design principles to music. That was actually done through the placement of specific notes uh, wow. to produce BG3. Wow. So we could play, so let once the CD is back, you could play that in a pre-existing classroom and they would get the influence of that silence mm -hmm. if they weren't already BG3'd, if they weren't wearing a pendant or had a cube in the room or something else, they would get benefit from having that playing during their class. That's in the form of a question. Yes. <laughs> wow. And why aren't we doing that everywhere? <laughs> we, we, have, we have a lot of students who are teachers and they'll have what we call the cues in the room uh, and they'll notice different things and send them to us and it's always really interesting um, we had a class that was a kindergarten that was balanced by one of the classes and they sent a letter thanking us they said that they were losing a lot of teachers and since the balancing they're actually not losing any teachers and they feel like the parents are more involved so you see, all of, and that's what I'm saying, you know, we didn't think that the, that, that was going to be the only, that that was going to be the specific feedback. Um, right. Of course, I mean, with, with kindergarten kids, you know, we didn't think, we, you know, it's hard to say they're focusing better or different things like that. They're still, you know, kids will be kids. But they did say that they, that wasn't their issue. Their issue was teachers. Their issue was that the teachers and parents, they said that a lot of times the kids would be dropped off stressed or picked up stressed because they feel like the parents were always rushed. Mm -hmm. And they saw that that stopped. And then they also saw that the teachers weren't quitting. Wow. That's an amazing, yeah. I would say, side effect. But that's, Andrew Weil taught me that side effects, it's, there are no such things as side effects. It's all effects. Yeah. So I think that's a, a wonderful effect. I'm ready now. 
<laughs> there are places I'd like to have it just playing in like a Walkman in my pocket. That's how old well, I am, a Walkman you know, in my you pocket. Can, every listener can make their own Simon Simon CD. You can mm. find a place, and, and you know, you don't have to, for those not measuring now or anything, don't worry about it being a sacred power spot. The beauty is a sacred power spot. And most people will have a local sacred power spot near them. But even if there's a place in nature that you just feel like, I wish, you might say, I wish I could just, you know, move my equipment and make music here. Record the space and play it. Record it on your phone and replay it when you're home. Replay it when you're meditating. Replay it when you're doing yoga, for example, uh-huh. or whatever you're doing to, to work out or something like that. And then you will, you will be reproducing the energy quality in that space. So that's a little trick for everybody. Wonderful. I want to jump to asking about, because this, well, doesn't seem to be, it is one of the symbols of something, and I know there are energies coming out of it. I'd like to talk about the pyramids, mm-hmm. because that is such a symbol of, again, in the New Age community in the old days, there were people walking around with pyramids on their heads. You know, they'd make a wire pyramid, a four-sided wire pyramid, which I know now from reading and listening to you that that was a mistake because they're not really <laughs> four-sided. But if it, could you talk about the, the pyramids and maybe some of the energies that come off of the pyramids and are there different energies in the pyramids? All that kind of... Sure. I'm not trying to demystify everything. I'm just like, the pyramids no, are this mean, amazing symbol of all of this and why. If we actually look at um, pyramids, and actually domes as well, uh, as shapes, we understand that these shapes, they're, they're what we call energy emitters. They emit or amplify the energy qualities upon which they're placed. So one of the big things about the pyramids in Egypt is actually the energy quality of the Giza Plateau. So where you actually find the most crossings of sacred power spot lines, and then at the area where you find the most crossing, it really is around the center of the pyramid. And so you see that they're actually all placed according to the crossings of these lines as well. And so this is the first thing that we talk about, is that if we understand that something is an energy emitter and we're reproducing it, like you said, in our workspaces, I see it a lot in crystals and different things. When you, when you place these in spaces, you have to be aware of what you're amplifying. So that's the first step. If you have a pyramid, it's because you want to amplify an energy quality that you're aware of in the space. Now, the other thing for people to be aware of is that, like you said, that when, when most people reproduce the pyramid shape, they reproduce it four-sided. And if you look at the pyramids of Giza, it, there's a few photos where you can actually see that there's a tiny indent on each side, making it eight-sided. Now, this indent, if you actually have a four-sided pyramid with the proportions, with the same proportions as the Giza pyramid, it actually has a draining energy quality. Mm. But if you, ha- if you add these notches, then you, we find that centering energy quality that we're looking for. There can be different types of what we would say pyramid solutions. You can find pyramids that are elongated, for example. Uh, that can be a different type of corrections. With domes, you actually also find a type of elongation towards the top or the bottom as a correction as well. But their main point is to amplify energy. Uh-huh. So the next time I go to a 
a new living expo or some, I should be casually telling people, you know, that would work a lot better if it was eight-sided. <laughs> no, and you might want to take that off your head for now. My father received an award uh, a few years ago in Chicago for, um, he was a keynote speaker at a pyramid conference and receiving an award there for pyramid research. And it happened to be that there was like 30 biogeometry students there and at least 10, 10 pyramid vendors. And, you know, they, they spoke to a lot of them. And we had a lot of them come in to take the class. Wow. <laughs> I can't imagine your father standing on a podium and speaking to people that have pyramids on their heads. I just think that's... <laughs> I've spoken with your father, and I don't see that. <laughs> they, they didn't. And, and if they did, then, then the students around would have, would have taken care of them and corrected them while they did. You know, you might want to take that off for now and put it yeah. someplace. <laughs> we actually had that in one of our uh, projects. We started getting really good results. And so um, the farmer that we were working with, he was, a, he was a dairy farmer. And then he started to try to, he got really fascinated by the results. And then he started building all of these pyramid shapes near the farm and in, on his plants and in agriculture. And then they weren't doing so well. And he called us, you know, to kind of understand what it did. And so we actually went in and corrected. Well, we removed all of them, but we corrected a few as well before, mm -hmm. uh, before kind of discrediting them. Wow. I've seen a lot of four-sided pyramids on people's heads in my day. <laughs> and I always, people would put it on my head, and it never felt right. I just felt, and it wasn't anything, I mean, I've put a lot of weird things on my head so, and in the energy world. But I yeah. just thought, no. And then there was also a meditation box. There was a mirrored box that you set it in a pyramid shape, and the idea was that you went into some sort of state because you were in a place where you were gazing at yourself at all angles. But it just always felt weird, and now it explains because it was four-sided. I don't want to sit in a box that's draining my energy. Mm -hmm. That seems counterintuitive. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that, with the pyramids specifically, is the terminology. Right? So people will say it's a very powerful energy quality. Powerful doesn't mean good. <laughs> and then also specifically with the pyramids, because it's such a strong energy quality, most people feel a rush of energy. And that, ru that initial rush of energy, they automatically assume is like, um, or else exactly like the word I said, powerful or energizing, for example. But, but it's not the energy quality that you're looking for. In the end, it will be what we would call a detrimental energy quality. It's a dehydrated it, energy quality, actually. Most people who do pyramid yeah. research are aware of this. They're aware that the pyramids have a dehydrating energy quality. So if it has a dehydrating energy quality, then you, could, you can see that it is not one that is enhancing your life force. Yeah, I'm not looking for dehydration. Exactly. <laughs> It's harmful. It's stress. It's got to be stressful to the cells to be in a space that's dehydrating. Exactly. Wow. Um, I can't believe we're so close to the end. No, we need like two more hours. I know. Um, so, I want to you know, ask about. Go ahead. Of electromagnetic radiation, the same yes, energy please. quality you find, the same yeah. dehydrating energy quality that you find in an uncorrected pyramid, is the same energy quality that we look to adjust in. Um, electromagnetic radiation and its effects on the body. Hmm. It's that same quality, we call it vertical negative green. And if somebody is, let's say they have the home kit, mm -hmm. 
and they place those around the house. And you can go to biogeometry.ca and look up the home kit. And they place those around the house. Will that assist them in becoming centered and so they can let down some of that, oh, my God, electro smog is going to something? Definitely. I mean, it, just to tell you even what, what the home kit is, okay, so there's all these little attachments, electricity attachments, uh, L stickers and things. People will see it when they look at the instructions. But to explain what the main thing is a cube. And when you look at the cube, it has what looks like these little notches inside. Now, what these notches actually are is that when we went and we did um, our work in Switzerland, which was addressing electrosmog, at that point, we were getting emails of people looking for a solution in their town, an individual solution. Switzerland was different because we got to work with the government. And so it wasn't like every government was giving access to, and every telecom company and government giving us access to, um, you know, the, the town and the cell towers. And so we knew we had to develop an individual home solution. And what those notches are is they're actually the same shapes that we used on the cell towers, and they're just minimized in, into a cube. And so when you're replacing them, and we have these buried still in, uh, in those towns in, in Hitchburg and Switzerland, and we went and we checked it when they, at any time they upgraded the cell towers, and they're still doing really well, you know, almost 20 years later. And so those, that's what's in the cube. It's those same shapes that we have in those harmonized towns in Switzerland, and they're, they're just smaller, made for an individual home. Now, with an individual home also, the home kit is great because we are aware of the variables we want to address. So we want to address the overall energy of the space. And then, and we were having this conversation as well right before we started speaking. Our first thing before we talk about problems is really just looking at creating a center space. And then once we have a center space, then we start looking at individual solutions that we need to address in this space. Because the way that we approach things is not from a negative approach, it's from a positive approach. And so you can be going in and solving so many little individual things in your space, but it doesn't mean that you have a center space. So we first work on what we call that overlaying or, or overall solution. And then with the home kit, you're going to go in and you're going to address things like specifically place shapes on your Wi-Fi routers, specifically place things on your electric panel. And those are also going to help relieve a lot of stress. Hmm. I do love biogeometry. <laughs> I have to take a, a moment. We're going to go a little bit long because I want to ask you about the Your Mandala book, which I think is such a sleeper. I think it's such a great, I'd call it a tool, but that doesn't seem like the right word. How is the mandala? Is the mandala book out there and huge now? I just think it's such a wonderful. I, I got a number of them and gave them to friends, and they colored them and went, "This is really fun." Yeah. I didn't really I, tell them why I was doing it. I just gave it to them like, "Here, you're an artist. You'd enjoy this." Um, Plus, yeah, it's so that, amazing. That mandala book. It was. It was actually something I made for myself. Um, there was this this coloring book craze, and I actually saw it with my nieces, and they had these very cool. Um, uh, books that you would color and then I thought and then and then it was like oh you do this to relax and then I was like okay well you can you know it was just it felt weird with all of the work that we're doing and I'm sitting there coloring with them and I said well I can actually do something where it's not just the activity of coloring but the shapes that you're using uh, have that effect on you and then so this is the that was really the birth of the coloring book 
and it uses all of the shapes. It's about 16 mandalas in there, and they're all based on what we would call biometry signatures, and those are all available in a book as well, all of the signatures. And what biometry signatures are is we were talking a little bit about color qualities and different um, ways to measure those. So if you start measuring every organ, you'll find that there's different pathways running through every organ, just like compared to your body, how you have the meridian lines. And so the biosignatures are actually the pathways to enter into resonance with those. And of course, every single one has been adjusted to give you the energy of a sacred power spot. And so I chose a few biosignatures and turned them into these mandala designs for coloring. And then when my father was releasing the Biogeometry Signatures book, which has all of those um, signatures in there, and that was actually the 45 years anniversary of Biogeometry that we released that, um, we also added the mandala book. And, you know, I, I get all of these, um, we're talking about autism. You know, I, I get a lot of students that actually have taken the book and taken it to autistic centers or work with it with kids. And I'm always surprised because they're pretty intricate and I thought they wouldn't, kids wouldn't enjoy them as much, but you know, they, they do and they sit down and they color and um, you know, it was I, the feedback. I love the feedback that I get because I'll get a lot of people who say, I got this book thinking it was, I got it as a gift thinking like I wouldn't use it. <laughs> um, but then when I started coloring, I, I really um, enjoyed the feeling that I got. That is exactly my feedback from a couple of people that I gave it to, but one of them happens to be an artist. And she was sort of like, what are you giving me? What is this? And she's always suspicious because I've always got something that seems suspicious. <laughs> you might feel better. I didn't tell anybody anything. I just gave it to them. And one of them did call me a couple of days later and said, you know, that was really fun. I really felt better or calmer or I can't remember exactly what her word was, but it wouldn't be centered. But I wouldn't tell her that because then she'd be like, oh, pfft, no, that couldn't possibly be it, no. <laughs> and it was great. It's such a lovely subterfuge in the best of ways of getting it into somebody's hands. And I also had a, a grandson who was pretty young, but he was hyper. But I suspected it was too much sugar in his diet, but that's a separate show. So they gave him the book, and the mom texted me and said, Jeff colored for like an hour, which was a miracle for the kid to want to stay in place and color for, or do anything for an hour. And she was amazed, and he did a really good job. And the mandala book is such a great, here, color these in, see if you feel better. It's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, like I said, I like, I love the feedback. I didn't expect the feedback that I got. Um, from a lot of people and you know I, I just looked one day on Amazon and it was like you know 60 or 70 reviews on there and I was like wow it was really nice to see um, you know that it's, that it's reaching people and, and they're feeling a difference. It's really great. So I am at the point we have I have so many other questions but I have to ask you where would you like to have people find out more about biogeometry, your book, I'm excited to see you now are having some online classes. Where should people go to find out more about you, your work in biogeometry? So the resource that you mentioned works, biogeometry.ca. Everything's there. Have a beverage. There's a lot of information there. Every time I, I go there, and I've been there a lot, <laughs> and I'm still like, this whole section over here I've never seen. That's amazing. Wonderful. 
Thank you so much, Doria. We'll do this again because there's a whole other show on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, I'm really looking forward to speaking again, and it's nice to always pick up where we left off. And, and take exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, everybody. Have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.